You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. This morning to start, I just wanted to read um, from Hosea 6. And uh, something here that Hosea wrote that I think is applicable to us today. It says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. Then he'll respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Oh, that we would know the Lord. Who here knows that there's a difference between living a life of religious observance and walking in a personal relationship with God. There's a stark difference, isn't there? There's ceremony, but there's the heart behind the ceremony, the reason that that ceremony was ever put in place. And no matter what church tradition you come from, we all have ceremony. The way that we do church here on a Sunday morning, in a way there's a a way of habit, the way that we do things. Even within Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles, there's ways that we talk about things and they're habitual. And sometimes there's almost a ceremonial aspect to them. But at the heart of the ceremony, there's a story. There's a redemptive purpose. There's, there's something that's trying to be communicated through, through that ceremonial thing. And that's what we always try to get back to is what is at the heart of worship? What does it mean to live a Christian life? What does it mean to live in the Spirit? What does it mean to know Jesus and allow him to transform us so that we play a role with the power of God flowing through us to transform the world around us and lives around us? And it begins with this, that we would know God, that we would live in his presence, that we'd press on to know him. And we have an expectation that when we do that, that God is going to show up. That God isn't just aimless, that he just set the world in motion and walked away. He is here and he's present and he's currently involved in the day-to-day life of his people and the world. And uh, we serve a powerful God who is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And that's why we sing. That's why we worship on a Sunday morning because God is worthy to be worshiped. And I know the first time I ever went to church, the whole structure of church was weird for me. I don't know if maybe some of you guys were raised in the church. Some of you have maybe never been to church. Maybe this is your first time in church. But the idea of getting a group of adults together to sing songs, it just seemed very peculiar to me. I don't know in, in your life if there's anywhere else that you gather together with your peers and sing. I don't know the last time you guys went Christmas caroling. I, you know, it's not a thing that we really do as a society anymore, except for maybe when we go to a concert. And for some of us, this might be the closest thing to a concert we've been to in years. Um, but it's not a concert in the sense that we come to be entertained. This is a place that we come to to worship God. It's a place that we come to learn about who God is, learn about the gospel, learn about how it applies to us and how we can live a fruitful full life in God. And this morning, 
one of the main, we're going to be looking at a couple scriptures. One's in Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 16. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can flip there. We're also going to be looking at Mark 1 as well. Um, but I'm going to start here with Romans 16. And it says this, And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one of man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of God, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Every human being has a relationship with sin, whether or not we identify it or not. And I know when I was a young teenager, this concept of sin, I didn't, I didn't understand what it was. I grew up in the West. I grew up in, in Calgary. And we're living in what a lot of like, theologians and people often call a post-Christian society, which means that people are being raised up in society no longer with Christian values and Christian ideals being commonplace, being the default. And so there was a time in Canada when the word of God was cherished, even at a governmental level. It held authority. It was the thing that we used to craft laws in the land. It was the thing that we used to fall back on to know what was right and wrong, what is morally upright and what is not, what's abhorrent. Today, it's not so much that way. We just kind of make it up for ourselves. We don't have a set standard necessarily other than perhaps the will of the people. We live in a democracy, and so that's typically how it works, where people get together and they vote. And we vote on our values. We vote on what is important to us. And the things that were important to some Canadians years ago that held a Christian worldview are not always the same um, values that get promoted today in the society around us. And I was one of those kids who grew up in a completely heathen home where God was never mentioned. God was just absent. And I remember when I first began to hear about sin, I was confused. And I've talked about this before, but I think it's, it's hugely important that I was confused because my whole life I thought I was a good person. And uh, have any of you guys ever wondered this? How are there still good people even, even though their Bible says they're walking in darkness and sin? And I thought I was doing pretty good on my own. I seemed to be a somewhat morally upright person. I felt like I did more good things than bad things. I felt like I was a fair, decent, honest person. And I didn't understand this idea of sin, this inherent evil that lied, lied inside of me that my nature was not, in fact, good and glorifying God, but it was actually in rebellion to God, that I had elevated other things in my life, including myself, to be like God in my life. The Bible calls that idolatry. And the amazing thing is, is that when we preach the gospel, we're preaching truth. When we preach the gospel, we're preaching the person of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He embodies the gospel. And it starts off with sin, that there was a world that has fallen, that man is sinful, 
that we've fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Which means that all of us are walking in darkness, spiritual darkness. We're physically alive, but we're walking in spiritual darkness. And we need a savior. And until man can get to that place where he can say, I am in need of a savior. It's not really salvation for us. We need to put our faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And the gospel message is this. The man was broken. The man was lost in sin. And God entered humanity as a man in the person of Jesus Christ to save and redeem the world. By dying on the cross, living a perfect life, dying on the cross. And the sins of the world, our sins, being put on him. And him bearing the punishment for our sin. So that we could choose to accept the free gift by God's grace, which is eternal life. So that we could walk in freedom. The gospel is transformational. It brings transformation. And the gospel is everything. It should be everything to us as Christians. The gospel is more than just a spark that begins our Christian journey. The gospel is a message that we need to share with those that are outside the church, but it's a reality of the kingdom of God that we desperately need to hold on to. We need to know it, we need to live it, we need to allow it to transform us continually. The person of Jesus in our life, growing us and making us more like himself, that which the Bible calls sanctification. The gospel affects and should affect everything that we think, everything that we do. As Christians, the way that we interpret the world is through the lens of the gospel, the lens of the redemptive work of Jesus. And which means that there's a contrast between the way we used to think and the way we think now. There's a contrast between the way the world thinks and the way we operate in the kingdom of God. The Bible in Romans 12 Two talks about renewing our minds, the need to not conform to the way that the world does things, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformation ultimately is between our heart and our head at the beginning because we hear the gospel. It comes into our ears, and we have to choose to receive it or reject it. We hear the truth, and we receive it or we reject it. A life transformed by the gospel is a life that's been, first and foremost, Christ-centered. It's a life where God is not just something that we bring into our life as an ornament. It's just not an extra thing. But he becomes everything. He becomes the thing that we live for. The thing that, the person that we live for. The Christian life is a life where we're not just adding God into our life, but he becomes a central part of our existence and our identity. And we build our life around the person of Jesus in our life. That he is first and central. And he rebuilds our foundation from a shaky, sandy foundation to a solid rock foundation in which Christ is the cornerstone, which Christ is the foundation for everything. You know, the gospel is a message that completely changed my life. Before I knew Jesus, my hope was in pretty much myself to be able to accomplish that which I wanted to accomplish. And I didn't think much farther than tomorrow. 
the idea of thinking about eternity or life after death. I was only a 14-year-old kid. I had more bridges to jump off before I thought about things like that. In a good way, like fun jumping, not like suicidal jumping. I just want to clarify that. You got your Bibles. If you could turn to First Thessalonians one four to five. This book is a book written by Paul to the, Thess- to the Thessalonian church. And the Thessalonian church was a church that suffered stiff and intense opposition and persecution. They were a church of people who were faithful, who were great disciples of Paul in the sense that they they responded to the gospel message and they went in fire and fury to accomplish the will of God in their lives. And it says here, starting in verse 2, Paul is writing to them and he says, we are always thankful. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your continual anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that he chooses you to be his own people. For when we brought you to the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know that the way that we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. So they came and they preached the gospel. And here Paul is saying our lives, our very lives, the way we lived and conducted our lives, revealed to you that the gospel message that we live is true. That's interesting. What else does he say here? He says that we know that God loves you, to your brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but with power. And the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the Bible says that he testifies to the truth. Jesus testified to the truth before Pilate. He stood before Pilate in the book of John. And he said that I came to testify about the truth. And Pilate famously said, truth, what is truth? The Spirit testifies to the person of Jesus. And Paul preached the gospel. Paul and Silas and Timothy here, who are co, in a way, writing this book, are writing to the Thessalonians. They're saying, the Spirit testified that what we preach to you was the truth. And the Holy Spirit came upon you and revealed to you that what we said was true, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to take away the sins of the world so that you could live live in eternity with him. So the Holy Spirit gave full assurance to that which he said was true. And they lived a life that bore out the gospel. So you received the message with joy when the Holy Spirit 
in spite of the severe suffering it brought you, in this way you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all the Christians in Greece. And now the world, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere from beyond Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell, we don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves are keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. What an amazing testimony. Paul comes and preaches the gospel. Paul then leaves, and everywhere he goes, he keeps hearing testimony after testimony, people sharing about what they're hearing, about what the Thessalonians are doing, which is they're going out, and they are, are sharing the gospel as well. I wonder for us, the people in our lives that, that aren't Christian people, if they're just amazed by, by what God is doing in our life, or if they even know that we're Christians. Um, I think there's probably some people in my life that know me, some of my family, they know me as, as a Christian because I'm a pastor. That's the job that I'm in, so it kind of, it's a prerequisite, I would say, to be a pastor. But for some of you guys, they might be working an oil field job or working in the military. It might not be so obvious, unless you're one of those people that has the honk if you love Jesus stickers on your car or something, which are very effective, by the way. People honk. So be careful what you ask for. But this church went through severe suffering, and they didn't care. They responded by preaching the gospel, by sharing what Paul had given them and giving it out as freely as Paul had given it to them. And as a result, they became an example to all Christians in Greece. Now the word of the Lord was ringing out from you to people everywhere beyond Greece, wherever they went. People kept telling them about the amazing faith of the Thessalonians. What would it look like in Cold Lake if everywhere we went, people were just proclaiming how faithful these people are at Cold Lake Community Church? that everywhere they go, they just keep sharing the message of Jesus. Everywhere they go, miracles seem to keep happening. What an amazing coincidence. Series of coincidences. These people that are preaching the gospel, that are praying for people, somehow these people just get healed. Somehow broken hearts seem to get mended. Somehow people that are walking around hopeless all of a sudden have hope. What an amazing string of coincidences. When the gospel is unleashed, supernatural things happen. When people who are people of God, who walk out in faith, trusting that God is who he says he is, that truly we walk in power and authority as Christians, and when we pray, we actually expect somebody might get healed. When we pray, we expect that God might actually reach into their life and comfort them, that the spirit of peace would come and give peace to a restless soul. That the woman or the man who'd just been divorced and separated from their family, that they would find hope again in the person of Jesus. I love this. For they themselves kept talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. 
when I was reading this earlier this week, I thought, God, do people see this in my life? Is this the fruit of my life? Or is it possible that sometimes I have been serving some other idols in my life? Here in verse 10 it says, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is one, the one who has rescued us from the terrors of coming judgment. The Bible says that we are literally saved from the pit of hell. That when we come to Jesus, we are saving our souls. And sometimes I wonder what the reality of heaven and hell really are in our lives sometimes. That if these people in my life that I really know and like and appreciate and respect, if I really believe that they're going to be thrown into a place where they were separated from all God's goodness and blessing and love and his presence forever, just an eternal abyss of pain and suffering. Would I not feel motivated to go share with them the ticket out, the person of Jesus who can give them hope and life and restore them back to a place of spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual life? You know, it's... I think the realities, these spiritual realities, um, God brings them in seasons sometimes, different revelations at different seasons for different times. And I believe we are in a season in which we need to be fruitful. Two forms. One, we need to know God better, and therefore we are going to become more like him. And that happens as we put our faith in Jesus and as we dig into God's word and become transformed by his word coming into our life. But two, that we would be fruitful in the sense that we go out and we make disciples, that we influence our community, that we bring people to Jesus. Last week, I shared a story from Mark 2 about the four friends bringing their paralyzed friend on a mat to Jesus. And just prior to this, this uh, story there in Mark is another story that's kind of similar, and this is the story of a man with leprosy. It says this in uh, Mark 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said. Moved with pity, most translations would say compassion, Jesus touched him. I want to, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. The God that we serve is not a God that loves at a distance. He's a God that came in the form of a man and loved people, touching a leper, touching a diseased person, people that were outcast, people that were dangerous to be around because people believe that you, would, you could catch what they have. It would be like a contagion coming into Canada and you going and hanging out with all the sick people. Nobody will want to be around you after that. But Jesus is different. Jesus is a man that when he touches somebody, they get healed. When he goes to a sinner, he forgives their sin when they come and put their trust in him. 
God is not a distant God. He's a God that loves in person, in a personable way, not at a distance. There's a guy, Francis of Assisi, and he was, uh, I guess, a Catholic monk, deacon, someone who's well-known. You maybe have heard of his name. But the way that in which he lived his life is demonstrated in a similar way to this parable or the story here from Mark 2. There's a famous story of Francis walking with some of, with a group of his, his comrades and they're walking down the street and they start hearing a bell. And years ago when somebody would be a leprous person, when they were really ill and sick and contagious, they would they'd ring a bell to let people know, don't come near me, I'm very sick. If you come near me, it'll make you unclean, it could make you sick. And they're walking up the road and the entire group of people that they're walking with just spreads out. And they leave the road and they're trying to avoid this person with all they can muster. And Francis Assisi stretches out his arms and starts walking towards this individual. And this guy starts freaking out, ringing his bell even louder saying, get away, get away, I'm a diseased man, I'm sick. I'll make you sick. And Francis Assisi just stretches his arms out even more and walks up to the guy, gives him a huge hug, and it's recorded that he even kissed him on the face. This is the God that we serve. A God that doesn't love at a distance. He enters into the reality of your life and he demonstrates his love for you in a practical way. And he embraces you and gives you a hug and a kiss. No matter how diseased you think you are, no matter how broken you think you are, God wants to embrace you. And the amazing thing is, is when he does, all of a sudden you're less broken. All of a sudden, that, that sin and that, that darkness that you hold in your heart, the more you allow Jesus to embrace you, the more you give to him, the lesser the burden of living becomes. The fact and the reality of life is that there is suffering. and There's pain in this life. And I don't entirely know why that is. Some of you right now might be walking through a painful season, going through pain, going through suffering. No people going through pain and suffering. But what I know from my own life is the things that I have to suffer through ultimately draw me closer to God because it causes me to be fully dependent on God. When I get to the end of myself and there's nowhere farther I can go, I've gone to the end of my human ability. I'm forced to trust God. My hope is that I would just trust God from the beginning and not have to go through the turmoil of faithfulness and doubt. But there are times that I even I self-questions. I say, God, why does this have to happen? Why do these sets of circumstances, do I find them in my life? It's interesting, spiritual growth, all of us are on a journey. Growth is something that's interesting. The Bible talks about growth often in terms of like plants and seeds horticulture. What's interesting about a seed growing 
is that often you don't see it growing. You remember those those old expressions that it's as boring as watching grass grow, paint dry, iceberg melt. Sometimes growth, spiritual growth in our life is kind of like that. If you try to pinpoint it and measure it in the moment and identify it while it's happening, you can't see it. But it's happening. It's happening inside of us all the time. At some point, we'll be able to measure it because all of a sudden, you'll come across that situation in which requires patience. And somehow, you will have it. God will empower you with patience. Someone will come across your path that needs love. And maybe two years ago, that would have been someone that you would have struggled to love. But in that moment, God gives you the power to love that person, to love that leprous man walking down the street that everyone else is running away from. I like what Amy said, that which we fear we empower. What do we fear? What is it that we empower in our life? Are we plugged into the source, to Jesus? Are we being constantly more empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to love others, to be able to bring the gospel to them, to be able to bring hope and light into their life? Or do we cripple ourselves with our thought life? Do we cripple ourselves by constantly replaying and replaying the bad things that have happened to us in our life that we don't understand? Do we cripple our spiritual growth because we're not focused on the person of Jesus? We're not resting in the Holy Spirit, the person that brings the transformation to our life. The gospel is transformational, which means as you follow Christ day to day to day, you're not going to become this, you're not the same person today that you were. 10 days ago, that when you walk with Christ and you follow him, you're going to be transformed. There's an aspect of our faith walk with God in which we're justified with him right away. It's a word that in the Bible that basically means we're made right with God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're made right with God in that moment. But the process of us becoming like him the Bible calls sanctification. One part of sanctification is that part that we live out every single day. And sometimes it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But every day as we trust in Jesus, as we put our faith and trust in him, as we dig into his word, as we meditate on his word and allow it to, to impact us and, and change who we are, we become more and more like him. And we'll be able to fulfill that which God has called us to do as a church, which is to go out empowered by the Holy Spirit and share his love everywhere. Everywhere we go. This morning, I wanted to ask a question. Actually, no, I don't. That's next sermon. I'd like to do something a little different this morning, if I have willing participants. It's not something we do very often as an adult church, as big kids. We do it weekly as a youth group, which is we get together and we pray together. And if you're willing... 
We have 10 minutes. I'd love it if we could get together into little groups and pray. Pray for our community. Pray for growth in our own spiritual walk. Pray that we would be people who walk in, that are empowered by the power of God in our life and the Holy Spirit, that we would live the gospel as well as preach it with our lips. And if you're somebody who's like, oh, I don't pray out loud, that's okay. If you're like, eh, that scares the heck out of me, that's okay. But would you still get into a group, and if it comes to you, just say pass. And we'll just take a moment and pray for our community, for those in our group. And if there's a need in your group this morning, feel free to say, do you know what, I need prayer for this. And let's just pray for each other this morning that God would move in our midst and and have some expectation that God will move, that you don't need a pastor to pray for you. You don't need Hayward to pray for you. We can pray for each other as well. Sometimes it's great. We love to pray for you guys, but we need each other as a body, and, and we need to learn to pray with each other as well. And so if you're willing to do that, would you just do that right now? We'll just break into a couple groups, five, six, whatever, whoever's around you, Maybe get their name. And if someone's willing to pray, pray. If someone needs a prayer request for something, pray for them. And uh, if you don't want to pray, you don't feel comfortable praying, that's cool too. And then in 10, 10 minutes from now, then we'll, we'll uh, end service and uh, we'll be able to go get some poutine. Sound good? And I'll announce how that's going to work. So don't go anywhere yet, quite yet. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.